0: 137 p.m.'s Live from the Bar Cart, a look into the style, culture, strength, and grind of the modern day man.
1: Welcome to 137 p.m. Live from the Bar Cart podcast. My name is Amari White, I'm your host, and we have an amazing story to hear from the owner of a highly popular furniture product known as Love Sack. Entrepreneur sensation Sean Nelson, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. That's good. That's good. Good to be I'm, here.
0: It's a nice day for
1: Manhattan, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's only right. How how was the commute? How is your your morning so far? Coming from your, from where? Connecticut? No, I mean? well,
0: I stayed in the city. Like you know, okay. I love I love New York, man. I uh, I'm originally from Utah. That's where we started this company. Nice, nice. And so, and uh, you know, spending time in New York has been a blessing. It's it's a uh, different life out here. I love it. So, can you tell me where? the name lovesack came from? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, you gotta have a name, right? So when I finally decided to make one of these for my neighbors, I thought, well, I gotta have a business, right? And so then, of course, I need a name, and I'm literally, so at the time, I was slinging cell phones, paying my way through college at that time, and I'm sitting there, bored out of my mind, at a cell phone kiosk inside of a Home Depot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at 21 years old, spinning a quarter, Thinking, I need a name that you know, we're, I mean, it's a bean bag, but it's not a bean bag. So, bean bag, you know, 70s hippie, love, peace, hate, war, love bag, love sack. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Same day, drove down to the Utah State Tax Commission, registered the name Love Sack in the state of Utah for 25 bucks. And Smart. I'm a business owner, right? Nice. So, it's amazing how easy it is. And that was when it was hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, can you tell everybody
1: how the birth of love Sack came about,
0: yeah. You know that's a, that's a long story, but I'll try and I'll try and uh, give you the quick version because uh, it's a good one, man. Lo- love Sack, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to claim some sort of genius in it. You know, we have this product sectionals now that's exploded. The company has us as the fastest growing furniture retailer in the U.S., but we started as a kind of a joke. You know, kind of just something I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm literally 18 years old, sitting on my parents' couch, you know, just graduated from high school, watching The Price is Right, one summer day eating a bowl of Captain Crunch, and I had this dumb idea, like how funny would it be to make a bean bag, like that bit, you know, like from <laughs> me to the TV, like right. the whole room, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of weirdo, impulsive person, got off the couch, drove down to the fabric store, bought some fabric, uh, cut it out, sewed it up, began putting stuff in it, beanbag, couldn't get enough beanbag beads, so looked around the house, found my parents camping mattresses, you know, like a piece of yellow foam with a bungee cord around it, you'd take out the, you know, and chopped those up on a paper cutter, and that worked, you know, it was squishy and soft and awesome, and so... You really don't use your resources, this, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it was... Uh, It was just something funny to do and I I dragged it everywhere took it camping took it to the drive-in movies back in the You know wherever out in Utah where I grew up and everywhere I took it people loved it. And so uh, It was three years later that my neighbors convinced them convinced me to make them one for Christmas for their kids And I decided okay, you know finally with enough people bugging me. Okay. I'll make I'll make I'll make one but if I'm going to make it, i got to sell it. If I'm going to sell it, I need a company. And so back in 1998, established uh, Love Sack as this little company in Utah to sell these things. Began making them by hand. Found a furniture company uh, in downtown Salt Lake that made couches. And so when they made couches, they they produce a lot of wasted scrap foam from cutting out all the pieces of foam for the upholstery. And they started uh, being willing to sell me their scrap. And in fact, uh, then showed me they had the shredder in the back they hadn't used in 30 years from really? the 70s. Like actually this old kind of like a wood chipper. If you've ever like mm-hmm. fed branches into one of those. Mm-hmm. Right. That. It's like that. <laughs> and so and, and I got it working. And and it was basically me and eventually a couple buddies after college, you know, after after school uh, shredding up foam stuff in sacks, delivering them in a van for two, three years as a hustle, a side hustle. Right. And, I, you know, I I grew up kind of middle of the road like I paid my own way through college uh, was waiting tables at night so it's like go to school in the morning stuff love sacks in the afternoon uh, don't I'm not making any money doing this right just because you know getting something off the ground It's just you know. I worked three four years without making a dime right right, right. Um, it just because the van breaks you got to buy more fabric whatever like mm-hmm. building the business is expensive and hard and so I'm waiting tables uh, and uh, I'm doing that till 11 at night or whatever and um, repeat the next day. So three, three years of this eventually, um, I had this killer job waiting for me in China. I speak Mandarin Chinese. That's a whole other story. Nice. Um, uh, I learned as a missionary for my church and eventually, okay. uh, continued in college and, 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 I had this job waiting for me over in Shanghai and I was going to actually graduate from university Close LoveSack down. It never made a dime and say, you know, it was fun. Right. But everyone I told this to was like, no, you can't close LoveSack. Like they, they had our t-shirts already. They love our, you know, products. You know, they're the and 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 so I said, okay, we'll give it one last shot. And we took it to this trade show in Chicago, where maybe we could get discovered by, you know, someone bigger and and because uh, Red Bull had bought fifty love sacks from us f- to use at their like events and stuff in their tents, nice. And that was like a big sale for yeah, us. So maybe yeah. we can find more of that. And and this trade show, you know, ten thousand dollars to get out there, ten thousand more to for a booth, and just to put our stuff out. And and of course nobody wants anything. And they love it, but yeah, like, nobody yeah. buys anything. So now you know I'm I'm 24 years old. I've got this credit card debt from from this trade show. I'm about to close the company down again. Down there, stuffing a love sack, kind of winding it down. And my phone rings. And I see it's this out-of-state number, so I'm thinking maybe it's someone from the show. So I pick it up, right. turn off the shredder, brush the foam out of my hair, pick up the you know mobile phone. Love Sack Corporation. And um, <laughs> it's the limited... Two. So this is the limited biggest one of the biggest retailers in the United States. You know, this is Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, um, big organization. The Limited Too is like their little girls brand. They want twelve right. thousand a, little love sacks. I did read, read about yeah, that. Yeah, just I was like, you know, f- reason right there. Yeah, yes, and, and yes. I had and they didn't know it was just me and like a buddy and like this wood chipper thing. Mm-hmm. And so I said, no problem. You know, we're the greatest not beanbag company in the world. <laughs> and anyway, they uh, they said we need them in five months. We need them. Um, uh, we need them for this low price. You know, we need it out of this fabric. They sent me a piece of fabric. I actually ended up flying to China to find it. No wonder. Um, yeah, you Cause, know, because I couldn't
1: afford it otherwise. Because I read that you had to, um, had to reach out to the fabric company in, in China. And I always thought about. How how was the process getting that that much amount of fabric to to do twelve thousand love sacks? Like, did it right. did it hurt your
0: budget? Did it? Oh, my budget. Help you? So let me give you an idea. Okay, okay so so mm-hmm. I first I fly to North Carolina because it's the biggest fabric show in the country and and it, it happens to be that week. Right. Right. So I credit card my way out there, walk around this fabric show, act like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I find it, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, and, this, and it's this old Jewish guy in the basement with this with his fabric, and I said. I said, hey, I need that. You know, Fabrics is what they wanted. And, and he said, "You know, it's five bucks a yard. I said, no, 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 I need it for like half that, because I'd done the math, and the price they're demanding is so low. And by the way, I don't know how I'm going to buy 30,000 yards of right, fabric. Right. I'm, I'm 24 years old. <laughs> right? I'm out there on credit cards. And uh, the guy says, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a direct importer. That's the best you're going to find. And, and so I'm looking around this guy's booth, and he happens to have all of these fabric samples up above his head in boxes. And there's Chinese writing on the boxes. And it's the address of the fabric mill that makes it. And I can read it, right? right? Because that's what I've done. And so I thought, crap, right? I can't stop now. So I I get on a plane, Mm -hmm. fly over to China. Wow. You know, on credit cards again. uh, Walk in the downtown office of this mill. And I say in English, because I don't want to, like, Show all my cards, right? I said, "Hey, I need this fabric." They always have English salespeople. These, you can make anything in China. Anyone can tomorrow. You know, it's it's really quite easy, actually. But um, and they said, you know, it's five bucks a yard. I said, "No, no, no, I need it for half that." They start they start talking amongst themselves about how much it costs to mill this fabric, and I, so I, I'm listening to them, right? And so I knew that they could do it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they're just doing it right in front of me because, of course, you know, white boy did not speak Chinese, <laughs> right? And so um, and so anyway, I sat there for three days and negotiated. And uh, basically, they came down to my price. They said, "Okay, you know, we'll cut them, we'll sew them, we'll ship them to you." But um, you know, you're going to have to stuff them. I said, "Great." They said, "We just need a sixty-five thousand dollars deposit to get started." And then I'm, a, I'm I, you know, I'm, I'm not even a, yet yeah, a college graduate. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. So I, uh, I go back to my hotel. I, I said, "No problem." I uh-huh. call up the limited. I said, "Hey, I'm here at my factory in China. We're ready to build your order. I just need a sixty-five thousand dollars deposit to get started." They said, "Well, you know, we're, we're the limited. We don't give deposits." I said, well, we're love sack. I've never done a deal without a deposit. What's wrong with you? Which was true, right? <laughs> right, right. And uh, sure enough, they wire me 65 grand to my University of Utah credit union account. That's all I had. Are
1: you serious? Yeah,
0: for, you know, and so I, I that. That's down, amazing. Uh, it was. Uh, this me of like Catch Me If
1: You Can with Leonardo uh, DiCaprio. I don't know. But the, know. the business it was aspect all true. of it, just, that sounds
0: great. Yeah, it was. But, uh, like, <laughs> look, man, it's survival. It's survival, right? So, so I. But the thing is, I wire their money to China, and now I'm committed. Like I've spent sixty five grand of the biggest retailer in the United States money. I got to deliver, and the thing is, I still have to stuff them. So, I fly back home. I send out every credit card offer I could find at twenty four years old, and you know, this is back in two thousand one. It's easy. So I'm getting five thousand here, ten thousand. I, I build a factory. We rent this old building. Cash advance the first month's rent. Build this factory on credit cards. You know, tables, vacuums to shrink the love sex down, whatever. Um, had to find more of those shredders, drove out to farm country, you know, these little shredders weren't going to cut. I said, do you have anything bigger? And this farmer guy's like, oh yeah. And he shows me this thing called the hay buster, which is this, you know, eight foot tall shredding machine that's pulled around by a tractor meant to shred these, those giant rolls of hay. Right. Right. If you drive far enough out of the country. Right. I've seen one of those before. Right. is huge
1: and whatnot. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So, so we throw a bag of, of, of scrap foam up in there. It kills the machine breaks our heart, you know, not going to work. But but we so we made some modification. We, anyway, we made this thing work with the help of this farmer guy. And I ended up getting an agricultural loan from the US government for farm equipment, right? And I buy you're you're, you're the ultimate hustler. Like, you know what? Like, I'm a this survivor. Is, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm a survivor. So, they, so the US government gives me this money to buy farm equipment. I take the I take a hay buster and a tractor. Drag it on a on a flatbed truck down to Salt Lake City, Utah, downtown. Put the haybuster, you know, up in the up in the factory. The tractor, I, we had to build a platform so it's up high enough because it has to stay outside. Mm-hmm. So it's at the loading dock. Right. We connect the two, you know, we open the door every day, connect the two with this drive line. And now I have a tractor powered, uh, shredding machine and I can shred tons of foam. So September arrives, the sacks arrive from China, you know, they're all empty. We 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 begin stuffing them. Me and my 20 temp laborer friends, we're working double shifts, we're working from morning till afternoon, afternoon till basically midnight. Wake up the next day at five AM, go buy five cans of diesel fuel. Dump them in the tractor every morning. Get the tractor going. I mean, that's how you know. F- so two months. of and this, this not even including the fact that you were still in school about to graduate. I just graduated. Just by graduated. Then, so I'm okay. finally free. This is the yeah, so this is my graduated. first mm-hmm. time. You know, and I had to quit my waiter job, and it was the that was the big leap that everyone. You know, I feel like every entrepreneur faces like when do you when do you pay yourself when do you so I'm paying myself ten bucks an hour to shred foam. <laughs> <laughs> alongside of, like, you know, just just yeah. these people helping me. And anyway, long story short, we, we completed the order, but but we made no money. We didn't make a dime. You know, like, it's just, you know, look, starting up a factory, it's so inefficient. We didn't know what we were doing. We are kids. We break even, right? And so now we'd done this quarter million dollar order and collected quarter million dollars from the limited. Shipped it all off in semi-trucks, you know, and there I am now. I own I own a hay buster and a tractor and I have all these employees that want to work. And I, and I hadn't been... Obviously, out hustling because I was just trying to get this done. Right, and it was it was backbreaking. My right. hands were stained blue from handling these I believe it. sacks. You know, but and so I learned one of my first big lessons, which was like you got to have one hand on the now and one hand on the next because I had no customers. Right, so we scramble. We go to the furniture stores. You know. Uh, Look how cool we make these big beanbag things. The covers come off; you can change them. They, they laughed at us and said, "Look, no one wants a beanbag that big. Your name's stupid." It's so, so my cousin said, "Let's open our own store." We Went to the malls. They laughed at us. They're like, "We have Pottery Barn, Crate and Barrel. Like, what's Love Sack? Right. And so, um, wh- and so we were, we didn't know what to do. About to give up. One of the malls that had rejected us called me back two weeks later and said, "Look." We have some empty spaces. We'll let you in for Christmas because we got to fill, you know, and and the Olympics are coming to Salt Lake City. So, so we, you know, we'll let you in for a few months and then we'll we'll kick you out and get a real time. We said, great, (laughs) we'll take it. Right. (laughs) We maxed out my cousin's credit cards, neon sign, carpet paint. And, and before you know it, you know, a month later, I'm paying myself 10 bucks an hour to work in the mall and try to sell these giant not beanbag things to people that stumble in while they're waiting for a table at the Cheesecake Factory. Right wow. like they don't know what we are and we're right gonna turn up the music play movies on the big screen We have a couch in the corner to look pretty and our stores beautiful and people come in and, and I'm not kidding you on day 10 a guy walks in and says this is really cool like who do I talk to about a franchise and I see this happen, so my, I run outside. My cousin gives him my card and says, "Call this guy; he's the head guy." And I, my, I run outside of the mall and I answer my phone. You know, <laughs> LoveSack Corporation. And uh, the guy says, "Hey, I, you know, I'm in your store. I want to I want to talk to you about a franchise." I said, "No problem." I said, "What store are you at?" He said, "You're Salt Lake City. So I said, "Oh yeah, that's a good one." And uh, anyway, um, harder marketing at his best. <laughs> oh, you know what? You, you know they say you got to fake it till you make exactly, it, and you know what yes. you do, man. You have. Well, here's how I say it: You have to be what you will be. Not what you are and in my mind we were a national retail chain, and we we're gonna be and that's how I behaved right And that's how I carried myself mm-hmm. and 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 a minute later. It was true Right we began franchising and 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 then we had all these adventures opening love sex stores all over the west coast You know California Colorado Vegas, whatever some franchise some of our own and that was uh, its old messy thing and then in 2005 I ended up on this reality TV show with Richard Branson, invited to be on there with the founder of Spanx. Yes. As one example, you know, mm-hmm. and some other entrepreneurs. And we competed. It was kind of like The Apprentice all over the world. Rebel, rebel the
1: rebel millionaire, The rebel billionaire. Rebel, billionaire. Re- rebel billionaire. That's right. My, that's my Branson. Apologies. No, no, no. no, no. Yes, yes. That's that's Branson. Now, how yeah. were you able to to be recruited onto that show? Like uh, you, you know,
0: just... I, so in fact, I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you a, a I guess some entrepreneurial w- entrepreneurial wisdom from Branson. Okay. So, so, so let me let me let me put it this way. Um, I got recruited to be on the show. I ended up winning the show. Right. I won a million dollar investment from Branson, mm-hmm. and that helped me attract venture capital and grow my company beyond that. Right. We're laying on the roof of his home on Necker Island, where you know six hours before i had just won, and we're chatting. You know, a bunch of us, and and we're chatting about life and and. He was talking about religion and God and luck, and, and I and, and we were talking about that, and he said, "I believe, you know, I believe you make your own luck, you know, Branson." <laughs> mm-hmm. And I didn't like that, like like attributing things to luck, you know, it bothered me at the time. But having now lived a lot longer on the earth, I I I really have come to appreciate that phrase. Like we make our own luck, and we make our own luck by hustling. And so you ask me, you know, how do you get on that show? You just have your head down and you hustle. And and the universe aligns. And if what you're doing is good and meaningful, you know, and well intentioned, I think that, you know, what am I doing sitting here, today, right? Like I think things happen for you when you hustle. And and I think you just have to keep your head down. That's what I was doing. I was just trying to survive. Right. Right. You know, we were at that time moving the factory to Mexico. I was living in Mexico. Mm And I just you know they they the, those recruiters came through Salt Lake on their normal like you know for the network, looking for uh, people to audition their ads didn't take, so they went to the University of Utah and said, "Who do we you know we're looking for young entrepreneurs to be on this thing who do we talk to?" They said, "Hey, call this guy." they called my store. I happened to be there we had that time we had an, a, already two dozen stores, and so you know just I think luck happens to you when you're out hustling because then you're available for it. You can't sit around and hope for it so so anyway, fast forward, we you know we went through then the dark times. Like we we had grown the company too fast. We were young and stupid, made a lot of mistakes. Um, when we attracted venture capital, their first move was to was the idea of bankrupting the company and starting over from scratch. And so and so I had to go through that uh, yeah full start restart in two thousand six. So how did that make you feel? Because that's I your baby right there. It wrecked know. me. I mean, it, it you know it was it talk about embarrassing. You know, you're on national TV one day. The next day, you you know, not literally, but you're know, you in bankruptcy. Right. And everyone knows about it because you're that guy. Right. Especially when you grow up in a small place like Utah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you want an MBA in a box, go manage a company through a Chapter 11 reorganization because you'll learn more about business. And, And I feel like to this day, that experience, I mean, I feel like I know things about how the world works and how things really play out when things get tough that even my own entrepreneurial cohort doesn't know and it, and I'm grateful for that it was it was terrible and hard and you know painful and and you know some of my best friends had to leave the business and it, you know all the bad things that happen but you just muscle through and so years of muscling back through we rebuilt the business from just 12 little locations because the idea was chapter 11 the business shed the bad leases on bad stores that we had made bad decisions on when we were 25 years old right you know, and whatever mm-hmm. Keep the good ones and, and like reemerge as a healthy company, which we uh-huh. did. And we and we raised the venture capital. We moved the company to Stanford, Connecticut. So that's what I'm doing there. That's what no I'm, wonder. That's what I'm at. That's what, why Why is Lovesac in Stanford? Somehow Lovesac does not smell like a Connecticut brand, and and it's because we moved out there to be close to New York, actually. Uh, Now, a decade later, we finally have a store in New York. We just opened in the Flatiron District. We moved out here with the idea that we were going to attack New York, and we didn't. We ended up having so much success in suburban malls. Mm -hmm. We just kind of kept doing our thing, you know, trying to make money, growing. And then we invented Sactionals, this modular couch that is just completely upended the business. It's three quarters of our sales. It's absolutely exploding as a concept. And I believe it can be in every home in the United States. And so we're, you know, we're finally doing national advertising. We've finally opened a showroom in New York City. We don't even have stores anymore per se. We have these showrooms that really support a web business, because if you understand both saxnals and sacks, they shrink down to a fraction of their volume and they can be shipped via the internet. And so we've become this direct consumer brand. Um, for couches. Right. So, you know, so what you've seen Casper do with mattresses, we'll do with couches. And we'll do it in, a, I think, a more elegant way because we have all these patents on it. And it's very unique. And that's the business today. So that kind of brings us current. And from here, you know, it's it's all about uh, growth and, and, and building a solid business that's, you know, hopefully here in decades. Nice, nice. Now, I always wanted to ask you, like,
1: you started your business with, your, with your, one of your best friends, Dave Underwood. Uh-huh. And I always wanted to know how you guys were able to keep business and, fr- and friendship separate from one another. Mm-hmm. That's because a great question. I know question. that tends to butt heads when money comes is not already involved. And I know that you want to come up with new ideas. And y'all yeah, could be disagreeing for the most part, you know. Yeah. I always wanted to know how you were able to find that balance.
0: Yeah, that's tough. And, you know, I think every entrepreneur, look, the, the easiest people... To recruit as your partners mm-hmm. when you're starting out of your or your friends right. and you want to because it seems like a cool idea. I will say this: uh, business will mangle relationships one way or another. Uh, relationships take a toll in business, I believe. And and my relationship with Dave has taken a toll, but we're still friends, right? But but I think um, I think you have to go in knowing that I, I believe that will happen. And in fact, Dave is the one that made it. I have many friends from the beginning. That are no longer with love sack and that I think those relationships all still exist, but have all been strained Practically to the brink along the way and so if you're not apt to uh, Strain or maybe mangle your relationships then don't involve your friends, Mm -hmm. you know involve maybe some some cool talented acquaintances, but right. <laughs> Dave is Dave's a great friend and we've maintained a relationship. I think because we keep it separate We, we hang out when we hang out. We go ride dirt bikes out in Utah. We, we still go wake surfing, whatever we, we just do that and that's 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 he, that's he and I you know and, and when and when it's work, you know I, I've got my role He's got his and 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 we keep it professional and I think as long as as long as you have friends that are wired That can that can behave like that then I think you can have friendships and business, but it's hard I know I know it is I could imagine it's hard And I think you I think yeah, you know, you have to hope that you've got good people around you right
1: now After all all the running around you did can you tell me what was the the amount of debt you was in debt? Yep
0: Uh, I mean, you know my own so (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> which era? So, look to build a company. You got to unless you come from money, or or by the way, you know you come from Wharton, you get incredibly lucky, or or, or you're well connected. Your parents are well connected. You got to beg, borrow, steal, hustle, do what it takes. And um, I had 55 grand in credit card debt back in 2001. Which that's when yeah. fifty five grand of credit card debt was a lot of money. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and and it still is today. You know, mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. it was felt it. But at the time, I don't know, man. You like whatever. It's like you just you just well, we make the minimum payments, we'll make it work. And I th- here's the thing: I never had a plan B. That's why when you ask me what I'm going to do next, I I try oh, yeah. not to think about it. Like ideas come to my head, I make a list of them, mm-hmm. and I try not to dwell on them or develop them in my mind. And you might say, what the heck? You know, you got these entrepreneurs that are you know, hustle and do yeah, all the these things and everything. Yeah, right? I don't yeah. I don't believe in that, man. Mm-hmm. I believe it's like I think Love's I believe Love Sack has billion dollar potential, right? And but that doesn't happen without an intense amount of focus. And it's not to say that look, I've I've advised on startups along the way. I I've invested a little bit, but overall I try and I try my best to stay very focused because opportunities like this don't come along every day, right? And so it's like and it's amazing to me, by the way, remember, this is a business that I thought was just a dumb idea. I didn't even think, even when I started making them for friends, I still was doing it as a side hustle. Right. I think most people would be shocked at how big something can get if you're willing to just ride it through and play the long game. Right. Like, I'm shocked. Like, look at Love Sack's market cap on NASDAQ. We're a public company. You can see, you know, what, what, what it's valued at. And it, it blows my own mind this dumb little beanbag company, you know, that eventually became something different. It's a couch company now, right? right. And, and so I think you just got to play. So 55 grand in debt at 24, um, millions in debt by 26, when we had to go through that chapter 11 for the company that I was personally signed on, which is why that was so painful. Wow. And, uh, you know, so you might say that was stupid. I mean, at the time, look, in 2006, seven, it felt really stupid to do what I had done. Mm-hmm. But now we're in 2018.
1: And look at you guys now. You know, and it
0: doesn't feel so stupid. It just is a distant memory. And so I think somehow, I don't know, man, you know, that word hustle, I like it because it, I think, represents the idea, just just keep your head down and keep going. You don't know, you don't know what's ahead, even when it's as dark as it gets. And I've been to the darkest places, right? And so I don't know, man, like that's that's how it's worked out for me. And I, I think... um I, you know I feel very I feel very lucky at the same as, time
1: as you should as you should so as a successful entrepreneur right now if you were to look back at the, the some the depth you was in and all the runaround you did like could you tell yourself or tell the younger version of of yourself doing all the hustle plays was it a smart move to to be so I want to say rational as far as making sure you do what you need to do to get the products you need to get to make to make these, all these kind of sales to your own customers?
0: Yeah. You know, I think that um, I think that being young and dumb has a huge role in being successful as, a, as an entrepreneur, a disruptive entrepreneur, actually, I think. And I think that being old and wise is helpful as well. So if you can find a way to combine the two or find maybe some old wise... Because there's lots of dumb mistakes I made because I was too young and brash... There are, um, though. Let me give you an example. So when when we first invented sectionals, we had this idea, and it, well, we we dismantled couches for for like a year trying to figure out how do we, how can we get it down into a box. And then when we figured out just the two simple pieces, you buy you seats and sides, and somehow you know we can make those hold together. We we had the concept, but it was rough. And I took our models that we had built in the garage using two by fours and plywood to a, like a proper furniture maker and said, hey, help us make these properly so we can get the clamps right and figure it all out. And I went back and, and I paid them. And I went back in two weeks uh, for my prototype and, and and they showed me this sectional, like a traditional sectional, like a corner piece, middle piece, ottoman that they'd built. And they, they said, you can sell these in your stores. It's going to be great. I said, well, where's the thing I gave you? They said, oh, that's a terrible idea. Like, that'll never work. I said, well, what do you mean it'll never work? They said, look, I've been making furniture for 40 years. My daddy made furniture for 40 years before that. Like, trust me, it'll be too, it won't sit right, it won't hold together well, it'll be ricky. I said, No, 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 where's it so I took it to another one. Right. I took so I said, What the heck? I took it to another furniture maker in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Gave him money, said prototype this. I came back, you know what he had done? The same thing. He literally made me a traditional sectional, like you can buy anywhere, corner piece, middle piece, autumn. He said, This will work great in your stores. I said, "What? Where's the thing?" I get, and so finally we had to we had to do it ourselves, and we had to just use our China factories at the time and prototype it ourselves, because like the traditional furniture guys, just they knew too much about furniture. We were dumb kids that didn't know anything <laughs> right. about furniture proper, and so being so dumb, I think. Is, it, but it's weird because you also can't just be nothing but dumb. And, but I think that the impetus. See, you want to be dumb when it comes to like, your category and concepts. You want to be naive and open-minded completely. Because anything is possible when you're dumb enough. Right. But when it comes to operations, running a business, like the nuts and bolts of it, listen, there are ways to do things that are just best in class. And there are people that know how to do those things. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I think you want to find the old man wisdom around you and and have that on your team until you're maybe old enough yourself to be that. And that's, you know, where I'm at in life, trying to be that now. So That's a hidden gem
1: right there, hidden gems <laughs> at its best. Now, were you mentored when you was first getting your, your business off the ground? And how how was that relationship between you and Richard grew as as a friendship, or more as a mentorship, whenever you after you win the uh, the season one of uh, rebel billionaire,
0: <laughs> you know. And uh, upon reflection, I think ha- seeking out mentors, being humble enough to seek out a mentor, uh, to network, uh, is one of my was one of my biggest weaknesses when I was young, and and I really regret it because I didn't have any strong mentors at the time. I think I was too so that's, the, that's the two-edged sort of being bold and brash is like maybe you're also cocky and you don't you know necessarily it need it. Well, yeah, because right, if right. you believe that you can do anything, then you believe you can do anything. Right. And so you kind of and 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 there is value in people that have done things before. You and remember you can filter. So you can you don't just because they share things with you, you don't have to necessarily take advice, so, but seeking advice is something that I wish I had done more of. Uh, sitting down with people, you know, buying people lunch, seeking out smarter people than me at the time is something I wish I had done more of. And Branson certainly became a mentor of mine. But at the time that he became a mentor of mine, the business, it was so, so messy with both the investment coming in and, and the Chapter 11 that we had to go through that that got all chopped up. And so I took away lessons that helped me in the long term. But I think all the way up until, I think, the, this last decade of Love Sack now we're talking in decades (laughs) Um, have I really become wise to the value of experience right And, um, and that's one of my biggest I think piece of advice to my younger self is network with people anyone you can find that's done things go sit with them buy them lunch Pick um, seek out a mentor right and then you know now there's all this look at this There's all this stuff on I mean there's so much available so much wisdom out there If again, you're humble enough and disciplined enough to seek it out listen to it absorb it read it Take it in
1: what is the future of love Sack? Like, What do you yeah. what, what's some of the new things you have in mind? To
0: I think uh, the, the brand I? think love Sack, if you for people that have followed it if you have that mm. kind of patience has surprised a lot of people mm-hmm. including myself mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh i believe that we will continue to surprise a lot of people i think this unlikely brand that people dismiss because it's goofy and funny and it's big beanbags and you know cool couches i think that we will go on to be very disruptive in our category i think i think we'll take a chunk out of it that will wreck other businesses you know and i don't mean i don't mean that i guess in a in a Mean hearted sort of way, but we're here. We're not here to take a little bit of market share and compete. We're here to dominate. We're here to take a a bite out of couches. And by the way, everybody you know has a couch, and I think we make the best one. And so if we can put that in most people's homes, it's going to wreck other businesses, and that's what we're kind of here to do. Want to be a powerhouse, and and beyond that, I think we have patents pending on other. We've learned how to play the game that we're playing uniquely, and we play it uniquely. We don't, we don't. We're not just selling couches. We invented a different kind of couch. Right. We'll do that same thing with other products. Nice. Once again, Sean, thank you so much
1: for taking time out your day to go spend time with us live from the bar cart, at 1:37 p.m. Can you let your listeners let the listeners know where they could follow you, or if you're on social
0: media, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Check us out at lovesack.com. I've got a blog called DFLgroup.org where we talk about, you know, our sustainability efforts and how we've evolved into that. And by the way, we just dropped our collaboration with Call of Duty. So Wow, that's all, amazing. Yeah, that's right. All Congrats. the uh, gamer websites and whatnot. Yeah. We're we're live in Call of Duty with a love with a custom love sites really cool. So um, anyway, check us out there. Nice, nice.
1: Now, if you want to own your future, start this minute. This is Amari White from Live from the Bar Cart, 130 p.m., signing out.
0: This is one thirty-seven p.m. If you want to own the future, start this minute. Live from the Bar Cart is a Gallery Media production.